to welcome Jane Zibri to the Stumble Forward. Jane is a singer, songwriter, and poet whose work is captured on 16 studio albums over four decades. Jane won the Victor Martin Lynch Staunton Award in 2005, although I think awards are just an abstraction for her. Her 1989 album, Bound by the Beauty, was one of the most important albums to come through my life in my teen years, and seemed to point in a direction of pure artistic freedom. I listened in disbelief that an artist would be allowed to make music that sounded so creative and wild. And I'm lucky to get to chat with Jane today. Welcome, Jane Sibbery. Hey, Hawksley. Welcome, Jane. Hey, I'm here. I'm here. I hope you don't. I hope you don't mind that uh, I. I didn't even tell you that. That I would really. I'm hoping you don't mind that we focus heavily on this record and maybe your years in Toronto too. But um, this record was an absolute. It was a pivotal moment for me in my teen years. I honestly, I felt like well. I didn't even know you were allowed to make music that felt this creative, this wild, this free. And it was in some ways the jumping off point for me to believe that I had in some ways had never been exposed to music with this kind of potential infused in it. Um, and I feel that you and possibly Mary Margaret as well were so early in this um, creating this archetype of the of the um, extravagantly creative female singer-songwriter, something that sort of became almost like a, a standardized archetype, a standardized archetype after that. Do you have any thoughts on that? Am I, am I off-roading too much for you? Are you happy to go in this general direction? Well, it makes me sort of wonder where the not allowed came from, because that's why we need artists, is so that <laughs> they don't respond to that, you know? <laughs> And that they gave everyone permission to you to be to open to expand into their own like largesse, like your largesse. Do you feel like you're there now? Like your Hoxie Workman voice is pretty close to your template, or do you feel like um, you need to change your name and your sound? Well, it's funny because I changed my name when I was in my early twenties um, to Hoxley Workman because. I had had a good run with my birth name. I was a high achieving kid and I had done a lot of stuff and I was frankly sick of that kid. So I turned him off and turned Hoxley Workman on as a way to give myself some permission and license to reestablish a new understanding of myself. And honestly, the Bound by the Beauty record would have been somewhat instrumental in this sense that I needed to stop what I was doing and start thinking anew. And you're right. I, I think I almost put, um, was allowed to on purpose in there because I knew it would get a rise a little bit because I knew you weren't conforming to anybody's um, <laughs> rules at all. That was what was so wondrous. When I say, how do you, how were you allowed to do this? I kind of thought, I got the sense that somebody was listening to the absolute real stuff that was going on in their own minds and heart. I feel like you're channeling music as you hear it in your own mind, and that's really hard to do. It's much more easy, I think, to fall into convention than it is to hear exactly what's going on in your mind and then bring it into the world in its, in its fullness and that capacity. I may be completely off the mark. I don't know your creative process. I only know how it's affected me. Sometimes I think about, like, Handel or someone like that and wonder, like, were they getting as close as they could to their mind? 
or were they doing it through mm -hmm. all their training? But if that's just listening to what's in their head, wow, what heads they must have had. But um, yeah, I, I didn't do it on purpose, but I had a sense that that was the right way to go. So that's why I followed it. And I encourage that <laughs> with others I mean, too. I listen. Like uh, if I do, uh, and I've done yeah, a well, I long song, I think there must be a lag because you look like either you're not listening or you're, um, <laughs> and you jump in and um, um, I say, okay, we're going to write a four line song. What are the first three notes you hear in your head? And everyone hears, hears it like dun, 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 right away before the brain kicks in, like, because the intuition, our, our connection is faster than the speed of thought. So if you can catch it quickly, and then three plus three, see, then you've got a 12 note melody that came right from you. It's amazing. Sorry, you can go on now. I won't interrupt you. <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm sorry, Jane. I'm sorry to interrupt. Um, just the few things you said in your, even your reference to what would the mind of Handel look like to, in, you know, to get inside of. And it sounds in some ways like maybe there are similar, um, we would have similar obsessions. And I think when listening to Bound by the Beauty in the late 80s, early 90s for me when I was in high school, um, I felt like I was gifted with an invite into the mind of somebody very, very special. Um, and I think that the early 90s and the late 80s was still a, in terms of commercial music, there was still an appetite, I think, in the general public and in radio, and I think much music too, to bring music to the people that was uh, difficult, let's say, or highly artistic or super creative. Um, I feel like maybe you, you were in the music industry in one of those last great moments where the industry was, was ready to accept an artist like you and appreciate an artist like you. I'm not sure if you felt that at the time or not, did you? No, I wasn't really thinking that way. It felt like the whole world was creative because I just extrapolated, but no, I didn't just do that because I, I had opinions about music that didn't make me feel anything. I, that I recognized as not something I wanted to do, but, but yeah, that feeling, I think that's the ultimate for everybody to feel to feel something, because everything's working against that, you know, to dumb us down. But I mm. love being dumbed up, personally. And I think people can take big <laughs> leaps across, you know, ponds of water, huge leaps. I mean, we see that in the Netflix series that people like. They can take, like, really complex storylines. And, and it's stimulating and stuff. So, um, no, I just somehow wanted to get close, because I felt if I didn't, I could feel the difference in me and I'd feel sort of sick or depressed or something. So I just had to stay on the edge of the wave for selfish purposes. I feel like, <laughs> you know, when I've, I've listened to some interviews that you've given and there's an, you know, a sense of an esoteric spiritual code at work. Maybe I'm putting words in your mouth, but I feel like even when I was listening to Bound by the Beauty as a kid, I could feel it was infused deeply with a, a spiritual knowing and or spiritual longing. 
And it feels to me like your need to adhere to the spiritual truth of things and to stay true to that is somewhat rigid and absolute. Is that true? Rigid and absolute. Uh, I don't like the word rigid, but yes, it's um, very supported by some kind of columns of integrity, I guess. Um, my my hope is always to be more and more open. So, and and the more like don't mean to sound like a cliche, but the more more I do, the more the subtle, the more I learn, the more the subtlety of knowledge or information becomes clearer to me. So it's that old thing, you know. I I know less than I thought I knew earlier. So yeah, mm. things just keep opening up in the most beautiful way and I think yeah that's and then we go racing into our you know our uh, the end of our lives with you know so much information and attunedness and it's a beautiful thing but it sort of seems like our culture doesn't have any way to use that you know unless it's just between you and God by the end it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks I don't know what do you think well I mean Yeah, I knew that you wouldn't like the word rigid either, but I will say that, I mean... That's the second time you've done that. Okay, I know, I know, and maybe I'm I'm planting these little, these little... I love it. These little nuggets knowing that, that it'll, it'll, it'll skip us out. Okay, so I'll, I'll jump back to you believing that, that people have a capacity for much greater than what they're given by the mainstream. And I would agree. I do think that there is somewhat of a, a, a dumbed down by design going on. And yes, I find it uh, disconcerting. I believe in the dumb up, uh, same as you. I, I think that I am made better by my exposure to things that are eccentric, wild, and push um, the creative limits. And by pushing creative limits, we push the limits of our own understanding of what governs our our internal story. Um, I think that there was a an effortless spirituality in Bound by the Beauty that resonated with me as a teenager who was um, I was attempting to be a pious Christian at the time, and I could feel the natural imagery and want for that spiritual search in you know whether it's the life is a red wagon, or even the um, anthropomorphization of dogs in Everything Reminds Me of My Dog. There is a spiritual, it's a spiritual call in that song too. Um, I guess at the end of the day, everything about who I am resides in, um, in a spiritual belief system that my body knows better than my mind. And when my body responds, it's the most, it's the most pure version of anything that I can do. And even this morning when I was, I listened back to a handful of my favorites off of Bound by the Beauty and I still had the chills and even talking about it again, my, my, the hair on my arms begins to stand on end as it, as it did the first time I heard the record back in 1989. So, um, it's clear you are connected to something pure in my opinion that the spiritual intensity of this record has the same uh, it's it's as virile today to me as it was when I heard it uh, thirty some odd years ago. Um, mm. So I don't know if I've really said or answered anything. I do appreciate that. Um, 
I think in and of itself, the notion of being bound by the beauty is, is, a, is a spiritual call to action. And I think probably I even felt that as a teenager as well. It also embodied a certain um, energy, I think, of I was a rural kid in northern Ontario dreaming of leaving and going to the Toronto and Queen Street music scene that you were a part of. And I felt that there was a lot of ambitious spiritual songwriting and songwriters that were at work at that time. And of course, I feel like you were sort of one of the main ones. Anyways, I don't believe I got anywhere closer to answering what you'd said. I've just sort of added my own two cents to this idea of um, spirituality and maybe spiritual purity within the creation process. Have I, have I gotten us anywhere interesting, do you think? Yeah. Um. I think that your use of the word your own two cents is beautiful because that's the best we have to offer. So never never to apologize for that. That's what everyone should be doing. Their own two cents. Like, how are you finding life, truly? And be honest. Be really honest about it. Because all of us are looking at each other saying, like, this is, like, how are you doing this? And, you know, it's edifying and important. And um, the use of the word eccentric, did you, that's the third word, did you present that as another trigger for me? <laughs> because I think um, eccentric stuff, 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 because eccentric has a bit of baggage, but I think um, a new word that people understand is authentic, which means your own author. Mm-hmm. And um, eccentric can mm-hmm. be a dirty word, but it just means you're more yourself than others are themselves. So that's a beautiful thing. It's just the word has baggage. Uh. So there you trigger me again, whether you want to or not, to or not. Sorry, well, it's true that's that word has baggage. I I think of, uh, and maybe it's one of those words that I feel like I proudly reappropriated. I mean, I'm sure you have been called eccentric in reviews, or and I have been called it a few times myself. I it it does sort of have that pejorative ring to it, but in my own opinion, it's a it's a it's a badge of honor to be seen in that way. It means that, like you just said, you are being so yourself that it's a it's somewhat of a a critical reflective way of being for the rest of us listening, thinking, well, this yeah. person sounds awfully free. What does that say about me? Yeah. Yeah. You know what amazes me, Hawksley, is when I get interviewed by other musicians, I love talking to artists or musicians. It's like, all of a sudden you're going from like a more two-dimensional like musician and I've watched you in videos and heard your music and really respected you. Um, and then all of a sudden I see the acuity of your intelligence because you're in a different position now. And it just makes someone three-dimensional and amazing how beautifully artists can um, can couch an interview in their own understanding. It just blows my mind. I have way more re- respect for you even in the past five minutes. Not that there was a lot of room to be disrespectful, but you know what I mean? I'm amazed by that. It's beautiful. I think everyone should hear the three dimensions of of a musician by hearing them speak. That's good, isn't it? Yeah. It's all permission, helping each other expand. Yeah. Again, to me, maybe because in this last year I've really gone deep in esoteric thinking and everything, um, I'm sort of trying to amalgamate my, you know, my light Christian upbringing with this new, this new want to involve myself in what it feels like these deeper esoteric truths. It seems like you just have a natural inclination towards them. 
Um, and that thing about listening to artists, it's true. I mean, I, I'm a lover of artists, and I'm a love, uh, and I'm a, I have a fondness for uniqueness, and I, I find myself sounding like. I'm 48 years old, but I do find myself sounding like the grumpy old man who likes the things the way they used to be and is less inclined to like things the way they are. But um, I know that we're on a journey that I'm not in control of, and I'm really only... Uh, well, that two cents thing you said, it's true. I, I, I'm excited about interesting people, and I'm excited about ideas. And I feel like the business of ideas is what is what is sort of the main aspect of the hustle and when the ideas come unfurled and bound by the beauty it's it's a it's a depth of authenticity wildness and absurdity that felt so unique and worry free to me um I needed to lean into that as a kid. I also think, you know, there was this great um, uh, New York comedian called Colin Quinn. Maybe you know him. He used to be on Saturday Night Live. And about five years ago, I heard an interview he did where he said that the deeply specific is the universal. Him as a comedian, he had lived in the idea that he needed to sort of dull the edges of his work, create something that was had mass appeal by sort of rinsing it down, rinsing the detail away. And then he said, what I really ended up realizing after time was that that the universality is caught in the specificity. The deeper you go into the detail, the deeper it touches the internal organism. And I think how many songs on Bound by the Beauty are a bloody clinic in that approach to specificity being something that touched me deeply. Um, it's because of how clear, bright, and technicolored uh, the images are that I feel like I can embody them so easily. What do you think of that? I, I love it when that happens to me, so I'm really glad, I think. It's like a strange relay system of... Um, I, I feel really lucky to be in the position of as an artist like you are, because we work in that realm. And it's a huge schoolroom for artists. It's sort of good that the world doesn't know how intimate it really is, what it's really saying about you. But in the balance of being a musician, it's a, I think it's mostly OK. So, um, And it's like we're constantly at, at the interface of inspiration and our connection to God, or the greater. And that's a. That's a real privilege. Lots of people just work in a garage, to, you know, handling, or not even handling parking permits, you know, waiting till there's a problem. Like, we are so lucky. Um, I, I think, um, I think that's all I have to say about that. Okay. Um, I can't help but want to discuss career and w within the context of the business. Um, I, I know as artists, I think there's a, like a genetic predisposition almost to being dissatisfied, dissatisfied with yourself, dissatisfied with all kinds of things. And in some ways, I think that the dissatisfaction is fuels the engine of creativity because it, it means your eye is always at want for just that little bit more. Um, mm -hmm. Are you, 
you're in your career is is this what you had set out to do like I look back on the Toronto scene I look back on your place in it um is this the career you were hoping for? Did you dream of a career? Was a career... Like, were you thinking business thoughts or were you just making stuff and it was going into the world and you were finding an audience? How did how does that work? What, I mean, I know you also took on the, the, the independent artist thing very fiercely and, and you ran your own business and, you know, you licked and stamped envelopes yourself as well as being the artist. So, in a business... Fr- in, in the business... You know, in our sort of earthly business world, is this was the Jane Sibri thing a success? What, what, how does it reside in you? Um, well, I think there are three elements worth talking about. One is that I believe that we have like our humanness and then our soul, and sometimes we get a flash of what our template is. So, when I was young, like from mm. as soon as I could climb up on the piano stool, I heard music and I tried to play it. So I always played by ear. And um, I always felt a vacuum that I was being pulled into because I wasn't hearing what I heard in my head. And it felt like, you know, like a new flavor or something. And, and that still is in my life. I, I feel I haven't even inched. I'm just inching my way towards the real music that I, I want to make. You know, and I'd think, well, what what could it be? And, and I think it has something more to do with moments. That the energy that can flash through moments that you describe is more the power of what music can do. You know, um, I've always wanted to do an opera, not an opera, or a musical about the the night sky or the stars or the constellations that was interfaced with sounds that have no words that can match them and human moments, nothing else, you know? So it's like the interface. Uh, that That's a vision I've had for a long time, not had the luxury of working on it, but I could just be lazy. I don't know, I could do it on my own, I suppose. But um, yeah, so I had a sense of template and every now and then I would feel the vacuum and that, you know, I would be walking with whomever's in the public eye. I felt that sometimes. And then my ego started to get stronger and I think, why why would I ever think that? You know, it's um, not connected to reality. But I think that's what was happening. So I think you maybe if you have a moment to tell tell us of your flashes of what your largesse is. Um, and then the second thing is um Um, the second thing is, I um, maybe I'm just going to say the same thing, again, but just a, a frustration at some point where I felt like, why, why do people tell me the music affects them, and then my audiences get smaller and smaller? Like, does it mean less people can have find any value in it, or what is that saying? Do I have to just have a different understanding of? what I'm doing and why I'm so driven to do it and why other artists are. And the third thing, I think I lost my lost track of all the three things, but let me just end with a concept sort of that I think my way of dealing with the good art, bad art thing, which I don't think anyone really resonates with because there's no answer, just a dead end, is that 
we don't make good or bad art, we make batteries that people can plug into if they relate, and it gives, it's, the value is there in the energy of the battery. So if the battery, battery or the mitochondria or whatever cannot um, sustain a lot of energy, then people can plug in and say, oh yeah, that was cool, yeah, I understood it when I was on acid and sort of thing. Or um, if you are at the other extreme, you're like a Japanese artist who's present in every moment, you know, or an artist that will, will not let things race by in carelessness. Like you, everything has to be, you have to be present in every moment. I think that's when the batteries can hold the most energy. Like those are powerful works. But neither, nothing is good or bad. It's simply um, you being of service, creating an energy holder. It's, in, it's a beautiful and it's a beautiful image. It's powerful and I think that you've nailed it, really. Um, I, had, I really bottomed out spiritually or emotionally about a year ago and then sort of re-summoned myself to go into this esoteric search and to be more deeply involved in some of the things you're saying and realizing that ego is to the artist is um, like a lot of great things is wonderful and dangerous all at the same time like I've rested and allowed my ego to carry me when it I've mm-hmm. at times when I've been grateful for it and then mm-hmm. when I realized that my ego wants to hold on to an older version of my identity so badly that it refuses to want to look into the future at into the possible changes or or unknowns, you know, the ego is is a is a funny funny thing. Um, the idea of not good or bad falls into line for me spiritually in that if I can only make one great change in my life, it will be to judge myself and others less or not at all. If I'm really truly great, I can judge myself and others not at all. But certainly, let's judge myself and others less. And I guess. In judging art and in playing that game, I feel that's my ego wanting to associate to something that might help define itself um, mm-hmm. instead of the want to see music as, is, does this serve me in the moment or not? Um, this idea of your audience shrinking over time, this is, I'm, I'm in, loathed in a way to ask about being a Canadian artist and the conundrum that is the Canadian business because and I may be curious too to see if Jane Sibri understands or has a sense of where she as a cultural force lives in the in the timeline do you like you were inspired by somebody but do you are you fully aware of who you inspired like do you are you fully aware of the of the power and the process of what you filtered through to create something that filtered through to me like can you see the resonance you created because of the authenticity and power in what you made um back in those days yeah i'd say i'm um uh, I'd say I continue to do it, um, but in a very under-the-radar way. Like, when I do shows, like when I did a long tour of living rooms, every night I felt lights going off on the planet, you know, like musicians can, but you can't describe it. To, you just know that the resonance is there, and I've trusted it, and let it pull me forward. 
even as I'm like sorting out a lot of important things. So, yeah, um, it's a it's a huge schoolroom. I mean, I would get a letter from someone saying, I mean, lots of artists affect so many people, and that gives us guidance as to whether to keep going or not. And then I'd get a letter about being sued at night. You know, I'd go to bed like, oh, I'm going crazy. You know, I don't know how to put this information together. You know, um, inspiring hate in people, you know, blah, blah. Um, I forget where the question started, though, Hoxie. Can you help me? Um, I think I was, at, what I, at the crux of it, and I'm try, I was trying to be graceful and, and, and poetically elusive. I guess I want to know, does Jane Sibri understand the, the place she takes up in the pantheon, let's say, of, of the Canadian musical story, of the popular musical story in the last 40 or 50 years? Do you, can you see no. where you came from and then how you, and who you handed, the various artists you handed the baton off to? Um, no, Is that I wish something I that you visualize or that you let your ego indulge in? No. But, um, no, I don't even think of myself as Canadian. I resist that. And I actually fired someone, let them go because they, <laughs> they were promoting me and they only put the Canadian dates in the promotion, even though it was an international tour. I thought, mm, that's a, just a bit too local of you. Um, I don't, um, I don't feel Canadian that way. I love Canada, hmm. even though the boundaries were created by men in socks and wigs. I think there's a greater purpose, uh, activity behind it. Um, but I, I think, I think, um, I think it's good for us to keep breaking down those, those limits. Um, it, that's the way we're going, as you said, with, you know, learning how to heading towards not judging, like judging is separation. It's separation from our, if we say we're all connected, well, we have to walk or talk. We are or we aren't. We are connected to Hitler or mm. we're not. We're, we're going to remain in some kind of limbo of separation. And that the opposite of separation is um, love and allowance and non-judgment. And I'm going through a phase now where I, I'm looking at separations in my life and I'm people I've cut off, you know, and ghosted, you know, and for what I thought was good reason. And now I'm thinking like, I can't die with that in me. I have to address it. I have to address it now. That's the way of the world and the future and everything. So I'm like saying, I don't really want to activate a conversation, mm. a friendship with you anymore, but I want to tell you how much I respect you and honor you and I apologize for the projections I I put on you and I release you from those that box that I put you in to be your full self and then I have to go back to myself and say okay Jane uh, I forgive I have to forgive myself because deep down I knew that what I was doing to them was not the truth. The truth is that everyone's God. And I deep down knew I was living in a lie. And I feel I knew it and mm -hmm. I felt a bit guilty. So I have to forgive myself from operating from that place. And then I think that's the only way to dissolve everything. You know, that's the truth of forgiveness, both sides. So we're all heading that way, I think, or a certain stream of people who are 
going to be, you know, our important part of being on the planet at this time, you know. And we've all got to like link arms and use the word brethren rather than brothers and sisters, and you know, anything that separates that country. Feeling Canadian? No, no. I feel, um, I feel connected to anyone who's who loves, you know, the beauty of nature. That's more the country I want to live in. And even then, that's separating in a way, but you know what I mean. I think I do know what you mean. Um, was this was the architecture of your inner life, this spiritual life, that you're answering most of the questions from that vantage point? It, is was this always in you? Is this this isn't the new you? This to me, I'm listening to somebody who, you know, I, I started by citing a record from 1989. Everything you're saying sounds like to me, it's indicative of the person who wrote all that music. But I'm interested in a long spiritual life um, because it is a cumbersome thing to have a long spiritual life. So I'm guessing, were you oh, born no. fully formed in this, or is there a name to the spiritual practice? Yeah, that I can speak to that because I think it's that like it that lives inside of you, or people, can you speak to any of that? People that I know that are sort of kindred, and you, Oxley, um, and that it's a that what pushes us forward is not being able to make sense of things, and that's a stressful situation. So it's like. Oh, I'm 16 and I'm already jealous of my boyfriend. Like, how can that be? Like, how, how do I understand jealousy? You know, so it's like lifelong um, sense of dis, dis-ease, uh, uncomfortableness, and mm. trying to make sense. And I really feel for kids this day and age because they, they're starting out with much more mm. that doesn't make sense right out of the gate, you know, and no wonder they can't get off their phones. At least they're safe for a little while, you know. But anyway, it's for their older compatriots like us to hug them more and say, whatever you need, I get it. And here are a few like um, footpaths that might bring you a bit more sense of things if you want to listen or whatever. Whatever's right. But um, yeah, I used to worry about myself a lot because no one else was like, worrying like I was and I thought am I just generally unhappy you know how come my friends are so fine about everything you know or why aren't they pushing and I think it was a generalized tension and unhappiness but for purpose I guess for purpose and now um, I'm starting to find shapes of understanding that feel forever you know we've all been through through the you know, we be here now, the master game, you know, the art of motorcycle maintenance, um, the beetle, all these things we've all drawn differently, but coming sort of towards the same end. Um, so many people with huge toolkits who are really, we're all kindred, and I do hope there's a bit of encouragement to all of us to see the fruits of our labor, and I think that's happening. I remember singing... Handles, um, I know the Redeemer liveth, on a Christmas record, and it's the first fruits of those who 
love or the first fruits are coming. And I got this huge rush on my body because I finally understood that, that what were these, this time, the first fruits, yeah, I'm getting a rush right now too, like of those who, I don't even know the final word. Um, this is so exciting this time, you know, it's the first fruits, it's, we're, it's just huge, you know, and and the fact that you even are are finding a place for you to be articulate and conscious in spoken word too, although music is really important, is fruit to me, Oxley Workman. When I set out to do the podcast, Jane, I I wanted one of the the the, the line items in the in, in the to do pile of of what this podcast was going to was going to do or hope to do was to be have a light spiritual approach. Oh, look at that! I I don't know why that happened, but it just did. Um, a light spiritual qu- finger qu- air quotes um, because because of the word spirituality is it's off putting for people. Um, I think that um, I don't spend so much time looking at social media anymore, but for a while I did, and I could see that there was a um, a desperate division taking place, and um, we are definitely in a, a time of secular-mindedness and materialism, and um, it makes me feel a little uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Again, trying not to judge it as good or bad, other than just what for what it is, but um, I do feel more than ever, you were talking about those toolkits that we are, our, our souls have chosen to be, come to this planet in this life, in this moment for a reason, uh, of course, and it is a fascinating time to be alive. I think I spent a, most of my adult life in a state of worry and fear, fear for my life, fear for pain, and in the last year of rewriting my own sort of spiritual story again, I not like I've figured any of this stuff out to to the to the max potential, but I don't feel any of those fears anymore, um, and that could be also part of a hormonal change because of my age that I don't maybe maybe there's just a relaxation to my inner life, but I do think that um, I'm just leaning into what's happening without judgment and fear. Um, after 20 years of being judgmental and fearful of almost everything, it felt, it feels now in hindsight like a rather somewhat of a pointless waste given that by living in the moment, I've invested a lot in, in stoic ideals and ideas this last year and read a lot of Marcus Aurelius. And I feel like as a highly emotional creature too, I want, I my music and what I do is heavily reliant on my emotion, but I wanted to move through my life with a bit more balance and, and, and maybe save the emotion in favor of taking in certain aspects of what is um, as an intellectual yeah, and exercise and less a, an emotional one. I'm not sure if I'm making any sense, but um, I, I certainly have um, been speaking uh, it's Sorry, an understanding ahead, of the intellect and emotions that has been sort of key to a lot of things. Like for you, you're looking at all that, and I have too. That the emotions that most of uh, that I feel 
are the lighter ones. And when I'm really deeply moved, I don't express it. It's, it's so deep. So those to me are like the truer emotions in a way, not just, um, so I wouldn't say it's just intellect. It's, it's like a stepping back in your own wisdom or something like that and staying present, not, you know, the expression, when the singer cries, the audience stops. Yeah, well, I saw that happen on TV and I understood later why I turned off this person. It's because like all of a sudden this two-way channel is, um, you're not included anymore. They're thinking of their own life too much more. So you're excluded. Um, And that's what I think a lot of emotions are. Someone is just, they can't hear you anymore while they're emotional. So maybe the key is that we stay emotional and, and open unseparate. Wow. I, I, I'm experiencing that a bit more now, but I don't know. It's a mystery, Hawksley, but very interesting, especially for creative people, I think, because it's so abstract and beautiful. Can you say that? Can, can yeah. you... When the Would singer cries, the audience saying stops that quote crying. again. Just I want to take it in one more time. More more succinctly, when the, when the singer cries, the audience stops. It's mm-hmm. because they put themselves too too close into the picture, and it ble- and it pushes out the rest of the inclusion. That's It's an unbelievable thought. I can't well, believe I've never thought it, but it is a stunner. And it's no have surprise. Have you noticed that when you're in a studio you. singing, if you I'm gonna sing have to, with I'm gonna too have much to motion, even your throat constricts a bit, you think, well, that's the best performance. And then you go and listen, and you think, actually, that's not. I've got to back it up a bit. Yeah. Like Because in your emotions, you think it's great. But you realize that even on a recorded thing, there's a, a bit of room that, I mean, sometimes it works, but you have to leave room for the listener too. It's an odd concept. Wow. I can't believe I've never really considered it, but now that you're saying this, it feels absolutely huge. I, I I played a show on the weekend where I, I sing a song about a partridge getting getting eaten by a, a coyote, and it's a it's a song that about being on my skidoo back years ago and coming upon the scene and and just seeing that the feathers and the blood were there. But me, you know, my mind I could imagine what came before, and I weep every time I sing that lyric. And and I do feel in some ways, uh, quote unquote, to use a modern parlance i feel seen that you about what you've just said but it is true even the audience didn't i had a tear come and i it's almost like it was out of my control and but or maybe i'm just you know trying to be a performer uh and do something that is going to be remarkable or something um who's to say but this idea of leaving emotional space for your audience to come into the picture is i'm gonna have to really wrestle with this because 
I think you're absolutely right. And this idea of being overly emotional on the vocal, you know, maybe your throat responding, <laughs> the body responses are usually the truthful ones. I always say that my gut yeah, is the brilliant one. I hope you're putting all these things into your songs because that's all issues, I care you know? about, hearing in other people's songs. That's really fascinating. That's what though. you just said. Yeah. A song about what you learned about singing about the partridge and the coyote. <laughs> Those are the songs I want to hear. And the moment, the interface would be, I thought that was good, but I don't think I left enough room for you, audience. You know, that to me, that those are the moments we need to share with each other. And you just did with me. Thanks. Just a quick heads up, we had an internet issue, so the audio is going to sound a little different from here. So can we talk a little bit about... Uh, this is going to sound awfully cliche. Creative process. Dun, da, da, da. Um, in one of the interviews I had heard, you, you had talked about when you had met John Switzer, um, that he had introduced you to some musicians that were uh, of a level of, of proficiency that uh, that you could then start to write at a higher capacity because all of a sudden you had musicians that were there to kind of catch you and you could you could write past your own sort of musical skill. Is that true? Well put. Better than I did. Yes. <laughs> but is that because you were hearing the music you wanted to make in your mind and your fingers couldn't adapt? Like, I'm trying to understand this because... When I listen to Jane Sibri, I hear somebody who, in my own fantasy, came to the world fully formed. So it's hard for me to believe that there was a, pre, a pre-era where you were unable to voice the thing you needed to voice. I, I find that hard to understand. Really? Yeah. I, I mean, I've always heard music fully formed, but not being able to, but not being able to play it. Like, piano's my natural instrument. My hands tend to move to much harder parts, and I can, I can sometimes keep up with what I hear. So, um, but no, I just played guitar um, and a little bit of piano when I was starting out. And then it became easier as I started to work in studios with keyboards and stuff, so I could, you know, work with keyboards to create what I wanted. Yeah, that was a good palette for me. And then I moved into a different phase where I thought I never get close to what I hear in my head. So I started for one experiment, and I think I only did it for one song. Um, not a train. Train. Oh, mm. I have a couple of train songs, but anyway. Da 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 da. Like I was just going one note at a time. Yeah, so I wouldn't go to the next chord until I played all the horn parts and everything for that note. So I stayed completely in the moment. And I'm not saying it was very heart-connected, although there's a bit of heart in it. But it was me trying to get closer to what I hear in my head because it's much, it's so fast in one's head, right, that to slow it down maybe helps you to go into microscopic detail of what you really hear. But I don't know. I'm just so far from what I think music is supposed to be. No. I feel like, you know, most of the music that we take in passively in 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 the popular culture of the late 20th century um, and now, I guess, early 21st century, um, the melodies and the music 
without being, again, attempting to not be critical, but for the sake of the interview, that it's a two-dimensionality contained within the lyric and melody. And I feel that your music, which was the big eureka moment for me as a kid, was this is three-dimensional. Somehow, even though melody, in theory, goes up or down, Jane Sibri makes melody go in all directions, in the way that time and space are connected and there is no such thing as past or future. There's only present. Once you start to understand or recontextualize the dimensionality in time, in the way that I feel you recontextualized the dimensionality in, in melody, you made it feel like there is no direction to melody. All, all, all direction is melody and all melody is direction. I felt like somehow you had broken down the barriers of a two-dimensional form and made it feel like I was living in a universe of your own creation. What do you think of that? I'm glad to hear it because I think the flashes of what I think music can be were contained a little bit in what you said. You know, that I hear that in other people's music sometimes. And that's what I trust, you know, that three-dimensionality, the transporting effect that it can have. Um, I remember being fascinated by what were called Dutch masters, where you could walk into the painting and look around. Mm. I love that image, and I, I bet that's connected somehow. Something I understood as good. Um, and I think it also speaks to the person listening, you know, and that everyone can work that way um, and that music can show us an example of that. But um, it's saying something about the person listening. I always know that when someone says something about my music, they're talking about themselves in a mm. beautiful way. And I'm so glad to... I love to think that sometimes... I can be of service helping people love each other, love themselves more. You know, that the reflection from the song mm -hmm. makes them think beautifully about themselves because that's the truth of it. That's mm. the truth of it. We are beautiful. I agree. Not just the best of us, but our whole package. I don't feel that way. I'm very self-critical still, but I, I do feel that's the way to go, you know. I do know. Yeah. We're getting close to an hour. Um, I don't want to take up a whole lot more of your time. Um, but I did write down a handful of lyrics from a handful of tunes off of Bound by the Beauty. And if would you indulge me if we just if I read these lyrics or maybe even sung them a bit and maybe some of the first thoughts that came to your mind, we could just hear from you about these words. If this isn't interesting to you, we don't have to, but. Um, you try. want to give it a try? Yeah. Okay. No, okay. No. I think I think it's a very creative idea. I think it's a very musical idea. Sure. Okay. So, um, so the, uh, hockey. That the stick was signed by Jean Beliveau, so don't fucking tell me where to fucking go. Even the embodiment of the rural accent in the delivery of that moment, you gave us a universe in that in that single line. Um, what's going on there? Oh, well, you started with a... <laughs> that was a good one to start with. That's one of the lines I regret most in my career. <laughs> because really? I mixed two worlds up, actually. I was, I was walking through Trinity Bellwoods Park all the time, and I'd hear kids just use fucking this, fucking that, you know, fucking that. 
And it was normal, and I felt it, it was normal. But later when I hear that, I think, I wish I'd kept it pure, you know, uh, the stick with Samajana, so don't tell me where to fucking, don't tell me where to go. Well, I probably wouldn't, don't tell me where to go. You know, it's, I feel I mixed um, poorly. <laughs> so I and have a new version that has a dog barking <laughs> over the word fucking. But you see, to me, Jane, that sounded like everything I grew up with. It sounded like you had been watching my life and that that's how my friends and I all talked. That was the competitive nature of, of, of a young boy's bravado, the attempt to, you know, have one up and over on your friends and don't fucking tell me where to... I, even though I understand, I used to give the finger a lot. I can't even put this finger up anymore. I, 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 I want to move through life with a lot more gentleness than I used to when I was <laughs> when I was aggressive and loud and uh, and I can see that want to maybe let's take those words out because those words are they're more powerful and disruptive than I even realize and I'm looking back with a little more care I put the f word in a few of my own songs but I will say that going back to this idea of the specificity that that lyric jumped out of that record to me and said, you've encapsulated in cuteness, in darkness, with love and a, and a, and a generosity of spirit, and a, a moment that reoccurred in my life. And you, you made it into art. You, you just, just boys bravado into something that could be assessed and, and, and beautified. That's, that's my take. And I, but you know, we you you relate to the lyrics you wrote differently, and I relate to the lyrics I wrote, and I sure like to go back and rewrite a few. But I will say that this lyric to me was was spot on, um, and and ha and was loaded with truth. Um, well, then I would thank you. I haven't never seen it like that, so thank you for that. And and it's not that I made it into art; I made it. It ended up accidentally through the universe. Thank God had control over that. Um, not made it into art, but made it, in, made it available for connection, okay? Mm. Important heart connection. So that was by accident, but okay, I get it. Thank you for that. Okay. Uh, thank you. Oh, yeah, okay, let's go on. Bound by the beauty. <laughs> And everything the dappled, everything the birds, everything the earthness, everything the verdant, the verdant, the verdant, the verdant dream. I'd never heard the word verdant. I felt like you were walking me into not only a magical universe of, free, of, of spiritual freeness, but you were also dropping words on me that for an 18-year-old mind, I'd never heard contextualized or ever used. So not only was this like a freeness of spirit, but I was also enjoying these delicious words that I would then, you know, as an 18 or 19-year-old kid, fascinated with the sound and taste of words, I would adopt these words through the discovery of them in your music. What, what do you say about, about that? The deliciousness of these words. Well, I, I'd like to know what you think. Yeah, yeah, that's why I chose them. And I'm very aware when I'm just like using words. They have to Absolutely. be delicious. I don't care if people don't know them, but if they're delicious. And that's what I wanted to ask you about. You know the difference. Like the power of words is um, behind it all, right? It's the power of the, you know, the he Hebrew faith knows all about that. Mm. Well, all kinds of Jesus, Aramaic, all that, you know, the Lord's Prayer, different. And so... Um, 
Yeah, so there's you as a musician, you're dealing with all these um all of these layers of power and choosing which ones to weave together in what in the time period that you're living in would you know feel the best to your stomach, your body, like what you said is the truth teller for you. So yeah, so you are aware of that when you write songs, right? Mm-hmm. But which words you'll, you'll choose, and which ones that are sort of puncture the yeah of of course yeah I mean we're, that that is the business, and it's lovely that you resonate with the idea of words being delicious because um I'm in the camp that sees. If I'm a, as a songwriter, purely functionally speaking, I will choose the word that feels and tastes better over the word that quote unquote means the right thing in that moment. Because I think that if I'm talking to the body of the audience, I'm going deeper than if I'm talking to the mind. So I would choose to want to have wow. that, that viscerality, you know, as opposed to here's, here's the, here, I'm hoping you have a concrete understanding of the concept. To me, I've never written songs with any hope that there was a concrete understanding of any concept, just that I'm trying to deliver something to make yourselves rearrange and so that you can be fully aware of that. Okay, do you do that? I've always been very leery of people wanting to heal me. Mm. So when people would say, oh, I just... Um, I want to go out and change people. I want to help people grow. And I'm looking at someone and saying, no, it actually, I would want to know that your first priority is yourself mm. and then me, you know, I, otherwise it's not backed by substance. Um, so, so yes. And, and when people say, oh, I, I was feeling really sick about all this. And I, so I just put it into a song and say, well, thanks a lot. You know, <laughs> thanks for dumping on me. You know, who's, who's your priority here? You know, you can do that in your own world. You know that there's some kind of um, balance of service, servitude somewhere, you know. So I guess something you said triggered that thought about helping people. But yeah, delicious. But you're speaking to the body of the audience. That's amazing. Yeah. You're trusting that the audience's body will understand your body's mm. sense of health and if they have a reaction from the intellect you just have to let that go right because mm. you're, you're, you're trust you trust two more tunes uh two more two more songs to look at the lyrics of if you're okay with um my grandma was a great anthropomorphizer of animals and um i grew up in the sticks uh and my brother and i we also uh we also were in deeply engaged in, in giving voice to the animals that came through our yard and giving voice to our dogs and our cat and our rabbit. And the song, Everything Reminds Me of My Dog, is a, it's a great song for dog lovers and animal lovers. It's a Toronto song because I think Toronto is a dog city. But um, I want to... S- read the lyrics from the bridge of everything reminds me of my dog because not only is everything reminds me of my dog unabashedly hilarious wonderful ridiculous silly but it also is infused with all that standard Jane Sibri spirituality and observational power but then musically speaking we get this great swashbuckling 
channel change in the bridge where dum da dum 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 ba dum bum bum and it feels very like dogs in the park and the way that dogs take themselves so seriously and I'm going to smell your bum because it's the end of, because it means everything in the world and you're going to smell my bum because it means everything in the world and so we get this great musical moment um, me and my ferocious dog were walking down the street and everyone we meet says ah there you're a good doggy ah there you're a good doggy ah there you're I'm delighted. Here we have the thing still happening. Hair standing on end. It still happens. Jane, bless you for putting this song into the world because I feel sometimes like the idea of the songwriter is infused with more seriousness than it requires. To me, you just, by writing this song, you say, a song can contain magic if it's silly, it can contain magic. If it's serious, it can contain magic as a happy song or a sad song. Am, am I onto something here? Yeah. You're right, I think. I agree. Yeah, uh, humor gets through to me much better than like someone who's very serious. And I think that a lot of people that I will learn best from are very, very funny people. You know, I think that sort of works for a lot of people. So, um, not that I meant to do it, but you know, like you say, you write for your gut. And so yeah, you're hoping to have a certain effect on people as you walk down the street with your ferocious dog and all they do is lean forward with a big smile and, oh, you're so sweet, you don't know. That wasn't what my, what the reaction was that I was hoping for. <laughs> you know, I think that's the humor that I like. And I think that humor, not to, I'm not talking about myself, so let me say this without self-consciousness. Um, Humor is and music are sacred. I have this weird effect when I go to a comedy club. If someone's got a mean humor, without wanting to, I start to heckle them and like question them, uh, and I have to be removed. Although in one case, no one removed me, so I ended up with a mic that they unfortunately left in the middle of the room. And um, and music that's experimental, that is a, like an intellectual wank. I do the same thing. It's just I start to get this huge anger that I rarely feel. And I think now I understand that it's like, it to me, to my system, it, it's especially wrong to do that to something sacred, you know? Mm. So, um, yeah, humor has, its, has a, a very, very healing place for everybody. And usually I think it's like laughing at ourselves. It all of a sudden widen, it zooms out and... And, oh, yeah, well, that's so stupid that we do that. Isn't that funny? <laughs> and that's um, that's a form of, yeah. Yeah, there you go. Well, it's funny because I think what you just said in some ways is highlighted in, in The Life is a Red Wagon. And I, put, I wrote down the, the chorus lyrics. Of, um, because it's a, t it's a song with a lot of tension. It feels like a song that effortlessly carries its power, if you know what I mean. Like, I can feel when I listen to that song, I'm listening to something with extraordinary depth, but it carries its own weight. I don't have to do the heavy lifting in that song. It comes as joy in the wind, in, in a way. And so let's just read through this for a second. The life is the red wagon rolling along. The life is the red wagon, simple and strong. The life is the red, is the red. And you do this a lot. It's almost like a record scratch, um, rep repetition. 
repetitive device you do in your songwriting. And it's a great setup because it builds this incredible tension. We know we're in the middle of a big spiritual conundrum, and then you let the steam off with, oh, it's no big deal, which again is what you were just saying, is this like, um, it it recognizes the absurdity in the pursuit of this truth because we're likely to never fully put it all together. But I feel like I remember being at a dinner party in Montreal. My girlfriend had gone to university at McGill at the time. Um, and I was at a dinner with very clever people, artists who were older than me from my high school that had gone off to university and they were living these spectacular lives in Montreal, the kind of life that, you know, we all dreamed that was happening in Montreal from our rural places. And that song came on at the dinner party and everybody stopped. And it's, you know, we're all 18 or 19 or 20 years old. And we just let the heaviness of this thing wash over the night nobody speaks because there's no speaking needed while this song is on and we all the the woman who uh, introduced me to your record i was in her band in high school she was at that dinner party and we just engaged with that song so we know it's it feels deep we know that it has but when the feet are dragging you pull for me and i pull for you like again i get the hair standing on end one more time but it's that oh it's no big deal for me when i was a kid that song would draw me close, 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 and then would remind me um, that it is a gas. <laughs> it is kind of hilarious and ridiculous. Um, and you routinely are juxtaposing this. You are giving us something of incredible spiritual value and then reminding us that it's, oh, it's no big deal. What do you think of that? Hmm. Uh, well, a lot of your things make me a bit uncomfortable because I'm not allowed to think that way. I just have to do it without too much self-consciousness. But I love that you, you're making me appreciate myself in some ways, and I, I appreciate that because it's it's not myself I'm appreciating. It's like, you know, thank, thank you, whatever the inspiration is. So thanks for that. Um, but... Uh, that's just wow thanks um there's another song that i think is hilarious that no i don't think anyone's ever noticed but it's like um la jalouse mm. dealing with jealousy which I, in my diary at 16 i'm talking about jealousy like what where's that coming from is i'm afraid of what you know like that's not love um so what is what are, what am i having a relationship for if it's not when I thought it was, blah, blah, blah. I'm writing the same thing down, you know, at later age. It's like crazy. But uh, let me just say, I think I've moved forward a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, like I'm on dating websites and it's like, what kind of relationship? I, I actually don't think I want a relationship. So why am I on Match.com? I think I just want good conversations. Mm. You know, it's like, and then I'm looking at all these faces and like, I love, you know, like, I'm just going to love every single one of them at all ages. They're all, I'm trying, going to look for the God in every one of those. Even the ones who don't know how to rotate their photos. <laughs> but um, so going back to, um, <laughs> so where was I? I was making a leap and then I sort of ended up over the middle of the pond without a rock. Um, Anyway, uh, oh yeah, La Jalouse. So I'm going to think, I told you to go, I'm talking to La Jalouse at a table. We're talking and I 
said, why did you make me do this and that, you know? And, and then at the very end, I say, I don't even like the guy. And I think that's a funny <laughs> thing. And I was like, I don't even like him. So what's, why? <laughs> the big question mark in life. What? But I think that's very funny. I even got my friend Anne Bourne to laugh with me at the end because I love her laugh. And, you know, it's like that conversation with someone where you just break up, both of you, at the end of something. Anyway, so that reminded me of that, but I thought it was sort of appropriate to mention. <laughs> um, Jane Sibri, I'll leave it there with you. It's been a, a real honor. I, I will admit, I, I probably thought I was never, ever going to get to talk to you or meet you or have this kind of a conversation with you. I'm grateful for your generosity and especially that I thrust on you without telling you in advance that we were going to be talking about a record from 1989 and that I was going to be somewhat obsessive about it. But you have been very kind and, and generous. I appreciate it so much. And um, I'm grateful for, for that record and, and its effect on me. I feel like it's it wove its way in early and it's it continues to inform me. It continues to remind me that there's always further to go, and there's and there's always a freer place to create from, and and that and there's a roadmap in that record, and I'm grateful for it. Well, I'd like to say that it the songs don't remind you; they remind you of what you already know, right? Um, so it's the two, two tier, I think. But um, I'm, it's a real honor to talk to you. Hoxley. And I hope that people hear this interview, they they hear themselves in all of mm. this. You know, it's way more than music. Um, it's it's really really important that we all like uh, um, support each other with our spiritual sword arms, so to speak. You know, and and not worry about the word God or the word spiritual or anything. Mm. We know people get what it means. And it's very different than what they used, those words used to mean. And just hugely joyful potential in it yeah hmm. thanks jane thanks Hoxley. have a great day what have a great day <laughs> what a what a okay have a great day and i let's let's do this again are you into doing this again sometime yeah just give me more time to live though okay i'll give you a little more time to live okay. bye you too Bye. The Stumble Forward is an Isadora Media production and is hosted by Hoxley Workman and produced by Jennifer Cavanaugh. Be sure to subscribe and follow The Stumble Forward. You can support the podcast at patreon.com slash Hoxley Workman. Thank you for listening. Stumble Forward, Stumble Forward, the Stumble Forward.